Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everyone, to Jacob's Cabin. This is Anna in Indiana, your host. We are going to talk about the episode He's Our You today, the 10th episode of Season 5 of Lost. Before we get started, I just want to say that the 25-hour podcast with Jay and Jack last weekend was a great success. The Lost panel was a lot of fun. Um, many, many thanks to the Josh Meister for um, running our panel. The panel was... Um, Myself, Josh Meister, Heath and Miss Wendy from the Lost Revisited podcast, Clay and Chris from the Dharma Dummies, and Mr. Bill from the Behind the Cutting Edge. We had a great conversation, although it was getting pretty late at night for those of us here in the Eastern Time Zone, but it was really fun. And Jay and Jack, I believe, raised over $12,000 um, in that, um, that weekend for Autism Speaks. And it's still not too late to donate. So if you heard the podcast or heard about that podcast and you want to donate to Autism Speaks, you can visit janejack.com. They've got the information on there still if you're interested in donating to that good cause. Thanks also to everyone who stopped by during the 25-hour podcast and said hey in the chat room or supported me while I was on air. It was kind of nerve-wracking to speak live in front of that many people, but you guys were great and I really appreciated that. Also, I am really looking forward to going on the Lost Revisited Now podcast next weekend with Heath and Miss Wendy. The date for that is April 4th, and it'll be sometime in the evening. They usually start recording, I think, around 7.30 or 8. So if you're interested, you can stop by in the chat room and hang out there while we do that recording live. Um, it's always a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And um, there's a link on the right-hand side of my blog under Lost Podcast to get to the Lost Revisited Now page on TalkShoe, so you can access that in that way. And with those things out of the way, we'll move right along into our quick little recap for this week for He's Our You, and this one is the ABCs of Lost. A. Amy, swaying the vote with her little speech. B. Bounty Hunter. It appears that's what Alana is, but for who? C. Chicken Salad Sandwich. D. Dominican Republic. Saeed's building schools again. E. Efren Salonga. Sorry, I had to do that for Heath. F. Fire at Building 15. G. Guam. Saeed wonders if that's really their destination. H. Horace, a leader who's always calm. I, Ilana, offering to buy Saeed a lucky rabbit's foot. J, Juliet, with a polite but clear message to K, Kate, who is surprised to learn the truth about L, Lafleur, living with Juliet like not as roommates. M, McCutcheon, $120 a shot. N, nutcase in the making, Radzinski. O, Oldham, he's our you. P, purpose, which Saeed believes he's discovered. Q, Questioning Saeed warning. Results may be unexpected and include lots of laughter. R. Retribution. Ben's explanation of Locke's death. S. Saeed Jarrah. T. Teepee. Where Oldham lives. U. Undermine. What Saeed does to Sawyer's escape plan for him. V. Vote. Go with Radzinski's plan. W. Waffles. What Hurley's making for breakfast. X. Excellent diversion created by a flaming Dharma van. Y. You're our him. And Z, 0% chance Ben is actually dead. So, yeah, like I just said in the ABC, I don't think that there's any way that young Ben is dead after Saeed shot him. And from what I'm gathering from the internet and other, other places, other people, I don't think anyone really thinks he's dead. We've seen other people who we thought were dead on the show come back a few times before, and... 
Um, just because he fell over face down doesn't mean he's dead, so we'll see how they'll bring him back, what excuse they have for that. Ben's a pretty resourceful kid um, in this episode. I think we're supposed to infer that he's the one that staged the flaming Dharma van that drove through the middle of New Otherton and crashed into a house. That's pretty resourceful. Um, that kid's got a lot going for him. He's definitely got brains on his side. One thing I've started to wonder about Ben is how does he get to the others so that he can get to know them and get to know the way they act and the things that they do and the rules that they live by, basically receive training to be an other from the others without people in the Dharma Initiative noticing, without his father noticing that he's gone. I really want to see this storyline a little more and see how Ben gets involved with the others. It's been four years, he says, in this episode since he saw Richard Alpert. That's a long time to not be in communication with them, um, which also sort of feeds into the idea that some people have been saying that um, in the last episode, Namaste, that him asking about the mustard on the sandwich, oh, I didn't put any mustard, I hope that's okay, was a code. I don't think so because he hasn't been in touch with Richard Alpert for four years. They'd have no way to set up a code word like that. And I think mustard is a really weird code name anyway because these are the others. They live in tents on an island and they don't seem to get out into the outside world very much. I mean, Alpert can come and go, but I don't think the average hostile other comes and goes. How would they even know what mustard is? I mean, we're talking about a people that have apparently been on the island for a really long time, maybe even dating back to Fortoed statue days, and mustard is their code word? I don't think so. I don't think they even know what mustard is. But I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Some of the others have been seen wearing glasses, so I don't know where they get their modern conveniences, but um, that is something I want to find out about a little bit more. And speaking of things I'd like to find out more about, Oldham. Who is this guy? Why does he live out in a teepee all by himself? And how is it that everyone in the Dharma Initiative seems to know who he is? Roger certainly knows who he is and what he does. He talks to Saeed about Oldham when he's there mopping the floor, which, by the way, was a great line when uh, Roger started making fun of Saeed for getting caught. And then Saeed said, and yet you're the one mopping up after them. Um, that was pretty funny. But Oldham... Uh, back to Oldham. He lives in a teepee. At first I thought, okay, is he like Jacob and he doesn't like technology? But then he's got that phonograph machine, or whatever you call it, playing the record. Um, so he likes some technology. He seems to be okay with that. He doesn't freak out when the Dharma van drives up, although they do park a fair distance away. So why is he living out there all by himself? He might be pretty close to the others living out in the jungle by himself. Isn't he afraid or... Does he have some connection to the others? Um, and something else, let's see. DJ Chow had written one question on the blog about um, can we see what the title is on his jumpsuit? And I went back and I watched that scene over and over and his arm is always like just in front of it or the gray of the jumpsuit really blends into the gray of the thread and you can't read what the title is under his name. But the fact that he has the gray jumpsuit is curious because the other person in that scene and that we've seen, I think, in all of the Dharma Initiative in general is Radzinski, um, who has the flame patch. Now, Oldham just has a generic Dharma logo patch, but they're both wearing gray jumpsuits, so maybe they have something to do with communications and security. Um, obviously, interrogating prisoners is a form of communication, but I wonder if there's more to it than that. Now we got a little bit more insight into the Dharma Initiative and the way that they function. It seems that if they can't make a decision there locally among themselves, their first recourse is to call Ann Arbor. That's very interesting. Um, wonder how long the communication with Ann Arbor goes on. Does it cut off after the purge, or do they keep pretending like they contact Ann Arbor every once in a while? Um, and then this security station where they're holding Saeed, where is that? We haven't seen that. Not that we've explored the barracks a whole lot, especially back in season four. We mostly just saw the houses where they lived. But if they've got that right there nearby, why wouldn't they use it? Why wouldn't the others ever use it? I mean, they put Kate in the um, rec room, but it seems like they have this um, holding cell right there available to them. And... I also keep looking at the inside of all the houses that I'm trying to figure out. I don't know if I can or not, but I really want to know which house is the house that becomes Ben Linus's house in the future. I'm just really curious to know and to see um, 
if there are bookcases in the same place covering up the secret door in the same place, because I really want to know about that. And while I'm thinking about Ben, this was an interesting episode that revealed a lot of things to us about both younger Ben and older Ben. Younger Ben, we saw him start to become a little bit manipulative, I think, when he said to Saeed, if you can be patient, I can get you out of here. That's his same even-toned, smooth-talking Ben personality that he uses later to manipulate Saeed. The scene between Saeed and Ben in the Dominican Republic, I think, said it all. And um, Ben was trying to manipulate him the same as always, um, sort of teasing him with an assignment. Hey, look at this. I'm, I'm holding this assignment out in front of you. Don't you want to do this? And even when Saeed says no, Ben still doesn't seem that ruffled about it because I think he knows that Saeed is going to, is going to take him up on it anyway. Um... It was also interesting to see him explain Locke's death. Oh, I think it was murder. Oh, I think it was for retribution. Um, very interesting ways that he worded it um, when all along, obviously, it was him and he knows exactly what happened and why. And I also can't help but wonder about what Ben said about the man parked outside of Santa Rosa. If this man was actually waiting for him or Saeed to show up or not, because you'd think that if someone were hired by Widmore or someone else to keep an eye on that place, keep an eye out for Saeed, that they would be a lot better at it. I mean, Saeed just walked up to the car, asked the guy for the time. If this guy were on the lookout for Saeed, surely he would have recognized him. I mean, I think Elsa knew exactly what to look for when um, when she got involved with Saeed, and there's no reason to think this guy wouldn't do the same. So um, maybe that guy was a plant by Ben. Uh, maybe it was just to get Saeed where he wanted him in California, close to Flight 316, close to the other Oceanic 6, so that they would all be ready at a moment's notice to do whatever was necessary to get back to the island. There was also in this episode the underlying theme of live together, die alone. Sawyer tried to help Saeed. He tried to offer him a way out. Um, and then Saeed rejected it and said, then I guess I'm on my own. Well, live together, die alone. And when Saeed decided to go it alone, he ended up getting voted to be killed by um, the Dharma Initiative folks. So um, we see that theme play out again. We also see that the rules still seem to be in place. Saeed goes after all these men for Ben, or for himself, whoever Ben says he's killing them for. Um, but anyway, he goes after all these men, but not after Widmore himself. And so the rules still apply Widmore is not a target in whatever game this is that he and Ben are playing. And that's all the comments I have for now. Denise will, of course, be in later, and we'll be talking about Ben and Saeed, younger Ben and older Ben, their relationships to their fathers, and a few other things. So um, that'll be coming up later, but right now we're going to move into our feedback segment. <music> In the feedback today, there are, of course, many, many comments about Ben being shot, which was, I don't want to say the highlight or the high point necessarily, but definitely the climax and the most exciting part of the episode. So I've sort of grouped some of the comments from email and blogs into Ben, and then we'll move to everything else, and then a voicemail at the end. Um, so first, Jason wrote on the blog, Little Ben can't die, can he? It looked like Saeed shot little Ben right in the heart. Can the island heal such a major wound that quickly? When it became apparent that Saeed was going to shoot little Ben, I was thinking, well, the gun isn't going to work like we have seen with Michael in the past, or future, actually. But then he really did shoot him, and I don't know what to think. We know Ben grows up, and he is currently at the Hydra station in the present with the other Ajira survivors, so what the heck? I think little Ben has to survive somehow. Maybe the island can keep him alive long enough for someone to save him through surgery. Now, who do we know in Dharma Town that is a surgeon? Hmm, let me think. Thanks for writing that, Jason. I do appreciate that you pointed out, hey, Jack's there and he's a surgeon, and if there's an emergency, he's going to kick into his um, I'm Hero Jack and I can save people mode, and he's not going to let this kid die. Um, it'd also be very ironic if he saved Ben's life. Justin wrote on the blog, I didn't like the ending at all. The Ben that got shot was just an innocent kid, and while Saeed was a killer, this is really a new low for him. Yeah, that was an interesting thing to notice, Justin, because Saeed was talking to Ben as if he were older Ben before he shot him. So 
whatever he's um, seeing, however he's viewing Ben, he's seeing the older Ben there. And he's seeing, I think, a lot of things that he believes he's preventing. Um, but I think I've got other comments on that. So, um, oh yes, Jackie wrote and said um, about Saeed's nature and his perceived purpose, and this ties into... Um, little Ben being shot, Saeed thinks that his purpose is to kill Ben and prevent the purge. The fact that he mentions to Alana on the plane that Ben was responsible for genocide shows us that he blames Ben for the purge. Ironically, by killing Ben, Saeed may end up ultimately causing the purge. The Dharma Initiative will be very angry that the hostiles killed or almost killed one of their children. I predict that this will lead to the increase in hostilities that ultimately ends in the purge. Thus, we could say that by trying to prevent the purge, Saeed causes it. His nature is being shown to be very morally relativistic. He says he wants to change from being a killer, yet he ends up killing a child. Like Echo, he comes to think that his killing is somehow justified. Saeed is definitely going down a dark path. Dave in Detroit wrote on the blog, Is Ben dead, or is this another long con of Sawyer? If I was Sawyer, I would have filled all the guns with blanks. Damage without death. I don't think little Ben died in this way. Yeah, I'm not so sure about the blanks thing, Dave. I mean, Ben did fall over on the ground with a hole in his sweatshirt, but I don't know anything about guns or blanks, honestly, so I don't know what kind of damage blanks would do. If someone has more expertise in that area, please let me know, anna.in.indiana at gmail.com. Kelly from Cali emailed in and said, First, I would like to say how happy I am that I made the call on how Saeed was caught. His soft spot for women is a dangerous blind spot. I agree with you, Kelly. Now for my theory. Yes, we all saw Saeed kill young Ben. Now, if we are to believe Faraday and say whatever happened has happened, then it's safe to say that little Ben is not dead. The island won't let little Ben die. So what we witnessed is probably the beginning of Ben turning to the dark side. He'll grow up bitter, hateful, and vengeful. Yes, his father was a piece of work, but what I gathered was that Ben was still kind and vulnerable when he was trying to help Saeed. Saeed turned Ben. That is a very good observation, Kelly, that... Ben was still very impressionable at this point. I don't think his character is quite set in stone at all. Um, DJ Chow wrote on the blog, There's only two options I'm going for. One, it would be that it missed his heart, but he's saved by Dharma, which would be ironic if it were Jack or Juliet who saves his life, but then wouldn't Ben be grateful for Dharma for saving his life and be angry towards the hostiles for trying to kill him? The other option, which I feel better for, is that he gets saved by the hostiles somehow, and that's why he grows more on their side. Um, two interesting options that you present there, DJ Chow. Um, I think he's pretty much on the hostiles' side already, partly because of his father and because of what he tells Saeed, I hate it here. Um, he wants people who will treat him fairly, I think, and the hostiles seem to be people that will treat him fairly, and that is very attractive to him. Kyote Fields wrote sort of about the whole situation, The question is not will this, Ben being shot, change the future, but how will the writer's course correct? And Donald responded to that on the blog and said, I think the question is not course correction, but how did Ben survive? He obviously did not die because he is alive in 2004. So since he didn't die, there is nothing to course correct. This always happened. Hmm, so definitely two different opinions there on what kind of work the writers have cut out for them. I tend to think that uh, the writers have something planned and they're not going to go against what they've said about not changing the timelines. And my guess is that some simple explanation will allow Ben to live and there won't be any alternate futures even possible because of this. However, the results of Saeed shooting Ben, like a lot of people said, that'll be interesting to see. Does this turn him against Saeed or against the hostiles? Does it bring him closer to the hostiles? Who will save his life or um, pick him up off the ground? Is Jin going to wake up and drag him back to Dharmaville or what'll happen there? Um, hopefully we'll find out what happens in that situation soon. Here's a thought on the blog from Jason about uh, life with the Dharma Initiative. He says, So the more we see of Dharma's daily operations, the more I am really surprised at how it is nothing like the scientific community I thought it was. Also, why exactly is Horace in charge? How come Pierre Chang wasn't at the midnight meeting to vote on whether or not they should kill Saeed? And was it just me, or did it not seem like Amy's say in the meeting carried a lot of weight? What is her position in Dharma? Very good questions, Jason. All of those questions especially the one about Pierre Chang. He seems to be the overall leader there on the island, and yet he's not even at this meeting. And we know he's there on the island because he just checked Jack in when Jack 
arrived with the rest of the new recruits. And your question about Amy, why does she carry so much weight? Well, maybe she's just speaking for all the wives and mothers who are there on the island. Maybe all the other men in the meeting, because it did seem to be that there were a majority of men there. Maybe they all started thinking about their wives and their kids, and um, that's why they wanted to side with her. And your question about why is Horace in charge? I don't know, but um, I just keep thinking back to the fact that he was there when Ben was born, and he happened to find Ben and his parents. At the same time, it seems like he doesn't want to have to call Ann Arbor, so he's high up, but he's not that high up. He doesn't want to deal with the upper levels of the hierarchy in the Dharma Initiative. One other interesting thing that Jason pointed out was that they replayed the scene at the dock with um, Ben and Saeed and Kate and Jack, and when um, Sun's pointing the gun at Ben and Saeed tells Ben and Jack, originally he says, that if he ever sees either of them again, it will be very unpleasant for all of us. But here in this episode, he was only speaking to Ben and said, if I ever see you again, it'll be unpleasant for both of us. Um, and that actually was a change from the first time we saw that scene in the previous episode. And so Jason's asking why the change? Well, that's really interesting. Um, and we've seen a couple little changes like that, like we were talking about last week with the photo of the new recruits in 77, it was different when they actually took the picture um, from the picture that was hanging on the wall um, with Hurley and Kate looking to the side when the picture was taken but looking straight ahead in the photo. So there are these minor discrepancies and I didn't think that it was actually the case when they went and talked to Miss Hawking in the church, but someone did actually point that out to me at that time. And so, yeah, I don't think I really watched that scene carefully and, and marked down every word that they were saying, but um, that scene might have been altered just a little bit too. And that leads to some interesting thoughts about perspective. Um, you know that when people retell a story, everyone sort of has a different perspective on it and remembers it just slightly differently. So it could just be an artistic expression of that. Um, I don't know how much to read into it, but yeah, it was definitely different. Thanks for pointing that out. Here are a few more general comments on the episode from DJ Chow on the blog. He says, it was more like a character backstory for Saeed. I mean, he gets angry and distrustful against Ben because he says he doesn't have to kill anyone. It doesn't make too much sense. And why doesn't Saeed go after Widmore, the top boss of all this? Why kill everyone in Widmore's circle when you leave the top guy there just to rebuild his gang of sorts? It could be due to the fact that Widmore can't be killed, like in the conversation in the penthouse where Ben says, you know I can't kill you. For the bounty hunter, I don't think Ben was behind it. When did he have the time? At the boat dock, he was surprised that Saeed was leaving. From the boat dock, he went with Jack and son to the church, and then, after, had to handle some personal business. There was no way he could have set that up with the bounty hunter, because she meets him right after Saeed leaves the dock, presumably. It only makes sense if Ben knew well beforehand what flight they needed to take, and prepared the bounty hunter as a backup if he couldn't get Saeed to go with them. But I'm pushing for it was set up by Widmore, who remembers to help his people to get where they need to go. In this episode, I really got to feel bad for Sawyer. He's trying to protect his new life and could have easily gone with the program and let them get rid of Saeed, but at the end he did try to save Saeed by letting him go. I'm just glad Jack and Kate didn't take things into their own hands and try to save him knowing how bad that would have turned out. Yeah, I agree with you, DJ Chow. I'm glad that Kate and Jack just sort of laid low. Um, they really need to get the feel of the place and understand how established Sawyer is there and what a respected person he is. They don't know this side of him yet, but they're starting to see it more, and I think they'll come to respect him and follow his lead, too. Now I have a couple emails I received that refer back to Namaste with a few additional thoughts. The first is from Uncle Igmar, who says... I spent quite a long time in community theater, and I got to thinking that Christian, whoever or whatever he is, created a scene. We saw New Otherton looking much like it did during Dharma times, albeit pretty abandoned looking, and in the dark. The Dharma logo on the door, the sign hanging from one end, and all of the class pictures on the wall lead me to believe this. There is no other way that New Otherton would have been in this condition in the present. It had been taken over by the others, who would have removed all evidence of Dharma's ever being there. We didn't see any Dharma logos on any of the houses, or pictures on the wall in the rec room where they were holding Kate there. What I think we saw was a complete construct by who or whatever Christian really is. He obviously knows that Jin is back in 1977 and who Sun is. Why he chose to set this particular stage this way, I have no idea, 
but if we were able to watch unobserved by the players in that scene, we would see the entire Dharmaville set disappear to be replaced by the well-kept town of New Otherton, a very Stephen Kingish kind of thing. I am thinking from The Shining where Jack Torrance sees things as they were at the Overlook Hotel as they were back in the 20s, 30s. One other thing totally unrelated, hearing the numbers on Flight 316. When the plane hit the window, it was in 1977. After the Losties had been dropped off, the plane was traveling forward through time and the radio was still working, they would have heard the numbers as they were moving through the years from 1977 back to the present. That is an excellent theory, Igmar. I really like that. It explains not only how the people got to 1977 and everyone else didn't, but it explains why the numbers were playing, and then I'm not sure how long we heard the numbers playing, if they were playing when the plane crashed, and of course... We flashed to a scene outside the plane, so I'm not sure what we were hearing at that point. But I definitely like your idea that the numbers stopped as they move forward from 1977 past 1988 when Danielle would have changed the message to the present when the numbers wouldn't have been playing at all. Here's another email. This one's from Kai-Fi, who's responding to something that Denise and I were talking about in the previous episode about the swan hatch. According to the orientation film, they had created the swan as a laboratory so that they could study the fluctuations of electromagnetism in that area and were beginning to conduct experiments when the incident occurred. So whatever experiments they were doing set something off. After the incident, they stopped conducting experiments at the swan and just used it to keep another incident from occurring. In my head, the incident looked like what we saw at the end of season two. The orientation film states that two-man groups switch out every 540 days. Radzinski must have been a part of the last two-man group, he and Kelvin, to go in before the purge happened. The incident happened sometime before 1980, according to the orientation film, and the purge happened on December 19, 1992, at 4 p.m., according to Lostpedia. That means that there were eight switches, eight changing of the guards, if you will, before the purge occurred. The Gulf War ended in February of 1991, leaving enough time for Kelvin to be recruited by the Dharma Initiative and to get to the island. Desmond did not get there until 2001, so that means that Kelvin was in the Swan for nine years, and then another three years after that with Desmond. Who knows how long Radzinski made it for? Kelvin would not have killed Radzinski. Denise asked, if Radzinski told Kelvin everything he knew, then why would Kelvin need him anymore, suggesting that Kelvin killed Radzinski. Kelvin would need Radzinski for company, if for nothing else. I think Denise is thinking a bit too much like Ben. Well, there's some good thoughts there, Kai-Fi. Thanks for doing all the research on the orientation film and the way the men would switch out every 540 days. That definitely helps set things more clearly in my mind about um, just the time that this is all spanning. Um, as far as Radzinski being good company, I'm not so sure about that. He seems to have quite the temper. He might have been uh, more annoying than anything. I mean, yes, he knows a lot of it, useful information, and um, maybe some company is better than no company, but maybe he just drove Kelvin crazy. He seems to be gung-ho for the Dharma Initiative, and by the end of Kelvin's stay in the Swan Station, he's pretty skeptical of the value of the Dharma Initiative. Oh, saving the world, what a great thing we're doing. But Radzinski seems to really be on board with everything the Dharma Initiative is there for on the island. So I can imagine that they would have had some personality conflicts. And finally, to close out the feedback segment, here's a voicemail from Alex. Hello, Anna in Indiana. This is Alex from Boston. Uh, a warning, this is going to be rantish. Um, I thought uh, last night's episode was terrible. And I think the thing that disturbs me the most about it is what they've done to the character of Saeed. Here's a character that over the course of the first few seasons um, developed into a reflective, thoughtful, and basically moral guy. And now we're supposed to buy that he just goes around and kills people, um, which I think is a complete bastardization of his character. And I actually kind of find it uh, kind of disturbing and offensive to see um, such cold-blooded killing on a screen where, you know, someone just kills a guy um, when he's defenseless. I mean, I think that's really out of the context of the show. I could see it in The Godfather or an episode of The Sopranos, but it just doesn't really make sense in um, what in many ways is, you know, a lighthearted uh, fantasy-based show. 
Um, so that was my largest problem with it. Uh, there are a couple good things going on. Um, the acting uh, of Sawyer and Juliet is at this point a joy to watch. It's pretty well scripted, and you know, as a lot of people have noted on podcasts, that that romance seems to be working uh, much better than some of the past Shipper stories. And I really ascribe that just to acting ability. I mean, let's be frank, Evangeline Lilly um, does not really have uh, that many acting skills um, compared to the actors that play Juliet and Sawyer, frankly. So um, final rant is just the whole notion of the Oceanic Six coming back. It, it has made no sense at all as a story in terms of the urgency of them coming back. I mean, remember what Ms. Hawking said, uh, if they don't go back, God help us all. Well, God help us all because no one would be available to um, tune up the Dharma vans. God help us all because no one would be available to serve pancakes in the Dharma mess hall. It just makes no sense that we haven't received any information about why it's so important um, that they came back. Um, so those are my uh, pretty much negative thoughts on He's Are You. Okay, bye. Alex in Boston, thanks for calling. I think I'll start commenting with what I agree on first. I agree that Sawyer and Juliet, um, they're great together. The actors are great, and uh, they have a lot of chemistry, and it's fun to watch them act their scenes out. Um, as far as the Oceanic Six coming back, why the urgency? Yeah, that's something I've been asking too. Um, but I think we're starting to get a little bit of that revealed. I think with Saeed saying that he found his purpose, um, it might not be what he thinks it's going to be. He thinks it's to shoot Ben. I'm starting to think that it's going to be that he's going to train Ben in some way to become what he later becomes as the leader of the island. And I think that we're going to see more of their importance come up soon. I really hope so, at least. And I wonder if they're going to have some role to play in fixing the fact that they're all stuck back in the 70s. I wonder if they need to be there in order to help bring the other people back to the present somehow. Now, as for Saeed, um, yeah, he did become sort of that reflectful, thoughtful, and moral character. He did try to put aside the things that he had been doing before and become a different person, but it hasn't seemed to work any time that he's done that. Um, we saw back when he was in the desert with Kelvin, he said, I don't ever want to do that again. And um, Kelvin was like, well, there's your new skill set. And we've seen him use it again. He just always reverts back to that. He... Um, seemed to be starting a new life when he finally got to marry Nadia. But then when that was taken away from him, then it brought all that old stuff back again. And so I really haven't been surprised personally that he goes around and shoots people in cold blood, like you said. Now, I certainly wouldn't be completely on Ben's side saying that he's a killer and he'll never change and that's his nature and who he is. I think he could change, but he keeps hitting these hard times in his life when this is what he reverts back to and he gets manipulated by other people. He seems to be swayed really easily. I think this is shown in the fact of how many girls he's been with. I mean, I thought he was in love with Nadia 100%. You know, he'd been looking for her for years. He wanted to find her. And then what does he do on the island? Oh, here's Shannon. Here's a pretty girl. Um, so he seems really inconstant to me in a lot of ways. As far as it being out of the context of the show, I don't know. I mean, there have been a lot of, of killings on the show, and um, Saeed's are certainly, I think, some of the more extreme examples of that, um, killing people with no mercy. But I think he's been pushed over the edge by a lot of these situations in his life. He's been trained, now we know from a very young age, to be more or less ruthless and he thinks that this is what it takes to be a man and so if he thinks that um, it's the manly and right thing to do to stand up for what he thinks is right even if it means listening to Ben and killing these other people then it looks like that's what he's going to do but ultimately it just seems like he's stuck in this cycle he can't get out even this trip back in time back to the 70s completely different circumstances hasn't seemed to change him or alter him at all yet so um, I'm not sure how much hope there is for him to um, revert back to that reflective and thoughtful and moral person that we saw him sort of turn into. He also might not have a lot of hope. I mean, he searched for Nadia for so many years, and then he only got to be with her for a few months. And remember his friend in Australia that uh, he was he was trying to rescue that guy from um, doing the terrorist act, and then the guy ended up shooting himself um, right there with Saeed there. So... Um, he's seen some really terrible things, and it may be that he's lost hope um, in himself and in other people.
Anyway, that's sort of a uh, depressing conclusion, so I guess I'll say there's always hope for Saeed. There's certainly hope that he could change. Um, if he spends a lot of time with the others, who knows how that would affect his life. That is the end of the feedback for um, this episode, so I'll be back in just a few seconds and Denise will be here. back here. Hey, and I'm glad to be back. It'll sure make it a lot easier this week than last week. It will, except for the fact we're both kind of sick. <laughs> yeah. So if you hear any coughing, guys, just, you know, ignore that. Yeah. So, He's Are You. Had you heard the title before the episode aired? No, because I like to stay, like, 5,000% spoiler-free. Mm. I don't want to find out anything. And I'm actually a little upset because the official Lost podcast was downloading this afternoon when I got home from work, and it said the title of next week, and I got oh. all upset. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I already knew the title, but I didn't know what it meant, but it made sense, you know. Yeah, it definitely does make sense. Um, so, things to talk about today. Um, ben and Saeed, obviously, are the biggest things mm -hmm. to discuss. So, why don't we start with um, Ben? What do you think about the dynamics of his relationship with his dad? Well... We'd seen his dad basically resenting the fact that Ben existed at all mm -hmm. earlier, but I'd kind of forgotten a little bit about that. And then watching his dad just, you know, kind of beat up on him today, it just made me, like, profoundly sad for him. Because Ben has to just kind of sit there and take the beating, take the harassment, and I think that that's translated into how he is an, as an adult, because he gets beat on just all the time. Oh, yeah. And just like when he was little, he just kind of stands there and takes it. Mm -hmm. And Richard Alpert told him to be patient. So maybe he just thinks, okay, this is part of being patient. You know, if I get through this, then Alpert will come rescue me somehow. Or maybe this is why he has so much hope in Saeed. Oh, are you here to take me away? Or can you take me to the others? Yeah, I've, I thought it was just really sad. But then I think that also that could be kind of making him who he is today. You know, if he's been beat on his whole life, then he doesn't really relate to people in the same way. He doesn't think of people in the same way. He, you know, thinks that nobody cares about him one bit. So he kind of doesn't form attachments and doesn't care about other people either. So for him to blow up an entire freighter, he's just like, oh, it's all in a day's work. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think he is even able to relate to other people the same way since he was abused when he was younger. And in a parallel to Ben's life, Saeed has his own issues with his father. He told young Ben, my father was a hard man too, and we saw that scene with the chicken at the beginning where um, he's willing to do the sorts of things that his father expected of his sons. Yeah, and it looked to me like Saeed was the younger boy, so he wasn't necessarily needing to go out and kill chickens yet, because it kind of seemed almost like... Um, an age or rite of passage like kind of thing. Like prove your manhood sort of thing. Yeah, and he's the younger kid doing that for his older brother. Voluntarily. Yeah. Which shows a lot about his character. What do you think about when Ben was saying, this is who you are, it's in your nature, you're a killer? Would you buy it if you were Saeed? Maybe, because he does seem to be really good at that, unfortunately. And, you know, his job in the army was to be a torturer. Mm -hmm. You can't do that and, you know, not be affected some way, you know? And then back on the island at the beginning where he's torturing Sawyer with the reeds under his fingernails. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just, it does seem to come naturally to him. It does. It's true. Now, Saeed just can't seem to stop being manipulated by Ben. I really noticed that in the scene where Ben came to the Dominican Republic just to find him. He's He's trying to use him the same way that he always has, saying this is what you do, and this is what you're the best at, and so you're going to do it whether you really want to or not, basically. It's in your nature. And also the scene in Russia where Saeed came out and Ben said, okay, you're done. That was exactly like the scene in Iraq when Saeed had just killed the man that had killed Nadia, and Ben said, walk away. Enjoy your life. It's over. You don't have to do any more. And Saeed's the one who's practically begging him, let me do more. 
you know? Yeah. I was kind of thinking as you were um, saying that, I was wondering if maybe the island is keeping him in that sort of role and not really wanting him to get away from it. Huh. Because, you know, maybe that's part of Abaddon and the fate police. You get people where you need to go. Well, maybe where Saeed needs to go is into that frame of mind. Hmm, that's interesting, especially with what Saeed said as his purpose. You know, he came to the island for the second time and he said he woke up and had no idea what his purpose was until he saw young Ben Linus. Mm -hmm. Then he knew, okay, my purpose, or at least his perceived purpose, was to kill him. Yeah, so maybe, well, obviously we know that Ben manipulates him all the time, but maybe the island is manipulating him as well. I think that's very possible. When Saeed first said, oh, I know what my purpose is, I thought his purpose was going to be to train young Ben Linus to become the person that older Ben Linus is. That would have been mind-bending. Wouldn't it? It could still happen. Yeah, it really could. Yeah, which would be ironic, because then him working for Ben later... Yeah, and I was kind of thinking that in the last maybe three years-ish or so, the island just keeps bringing Ben and Saeed together. Hmm. Like, they're just, you know, linked together in a way that you can't really separate because, you know, one day they're working together, the next day they're enemies, then they're working together, then they're enemies. You know, it seems like they, even if they want to, they can't really stay apart. That's true. It does seem like too much of a coincidence. It almost makes me wonder if somehow they're almost like two sides of a coin. Huh. But they both seem to do the same sorts of things. Like, why can't Ben do his dirty work for himself? Because he has no problem. Like you said, he's he's uh, grown up a certain way. He's kind of heartless, doesn't care about killing a lot of people or letting a lot of people die right. to achieve his goals. Why can't he be the one to go do his dirty work for himself? Maybe because he just doesn't want the blood on his hands. He thinks he has to be innocent in some way for the island to take him back, maybe? Or maybe he's afraid that if he was to start actually doing the killing, that he might turn into his dad. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, if you've, if you've been abused, then if you start to go down that path, you're more likely to end up following it whether you want to or not. Hmm. So maybe he's staying away from doing the actual physical killing because he's afraid he won't be able to stop. Hmm. Which would explain why he traveled all the way to the Dominican Republic to find Saeed just to say, hey, there's a guy parked outside Hurley's door. I mean, that's a long trip just to find someone else to do that for you. Yeah, that's a, a heck of an errand to go on to have someone else yeah. do what you need them to do. I mean, call him, you know, yeah. send a letter. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think I'd fly that far to just be like, hey, somebody's hanging out by Hurley. Yeah, they've been there for a week. If you're really worried, Ben, take care of it yourself. Yeah. Okay, so the first time that we saw Saeed in the Dominican Republic building the school or whatever it is yeah. with um, the Habitat for Humanity kind of thing, it made me think that Saeed's trying to gain redemption by helping other people out. He's trying to get away from, you know, his supposedly previous identity as a killer. Mm -hmm. And that just, you know, kind of goes along with what he's been trying to do the whole last few seasons. He's been trying to get away from that, trying to become a better person. So just seeing that sort of redemption really made me think about that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a huge effort on his part to do something different, to take where he had been going turn around and head in a completely different direction, which is sort of what he was trying to explain to Alana. Um, he didn't seem to really believe it himself, though, that, well, I'm trying to become a different person than who I used to be, but it didn't really seem to be working, and she all tried to be sympathetic. Oh, I know what you mean. And Yeah, I thought that part was actually really good, because I think that she was able to make him start thinking about that and be like, you know, it's okay to kind of mourn this sort of change in your life even though even though that might be a weird way to think about it because like oh you're sad because you're not a killer anymore but going through any big life change whether you opt for it or not there's always going to be a you know a time where you're adjusting to that and he's having to learn to think about himself completely differently now or she could have been trying to justify her own actions 
Yeah. She was basically doing the same thing he was. You know, like with him and the guy on the golf course, he walked up and pretended to be friendly and then turned around and shot the guy. Well, that's what she's doing, you know, sitting next to him at the bar, yeah. pretending to be friendly, and then, boom, pulls a gun on him. Yeah, getting a $120 glass of McCutcheon out of him. Yeah, yeah. Must be pretty good for 120 bucks. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, Anna, who do you think Alana is really working for? Is it um, golf course guy and Widmore, or is it somebody else? I think there's a possibility she's working for Widmore, or she's working for the family of that guy. But either way, I would think that his family would be really tied into Widmore if he was so tied into the organization that he's one of the people that Ben sent Saeed after. Mm -hmm. I think that the family would want retribution. I was kind of thinking maybe he says that he works for Widmore, but he's actually, you know, part of maybe like a third angle going at things. Huh. I mean, that might be completely off base, but that was kind of what I thought at first whenever she said that. Maybe. But remember the guy on the golf course, his face, when Saeed was like, oh yeah, I'm one of the Oceanic Six. The guy was like, oh no, he knows who I am, kind of. Yeah. He looked really scared. I think it, it'll it prove interesting if we get to hear a little bit more about her connection with them and find out what it is, you know, for sure. Yeah, if she is a bounty hunter, like Saeed said, then, you know, it could be anybody that she's working for. Yeah. Or maybe she's not working for anybody. She's working for herself, and she's like the whole third-party angle. <laughs> That's interesting. What would she have to gain or lose, though? And why would she want him to go to Guam? Well, maybe because she has maybe been to the island before, and she wants it. Hmm. I don't know if I can buy that, though. You know, because she doesn't seem to know anything about where they are once they crash. Well, but she's probably just acting that way. She doesn't want to let on. Especially not with somebody as weird and shady as Caesar is. That's true. I mean, it's lost. Anything can happen. This is very true. <laughs> Now, Denise, something that I've gotten a lot of feedback about this week is um, Ben. Is he dead or not? What do you think? I don't think that he's dead. No? Because that would change everything. I mean, you know, current grown-up Ben would have to just poof. And then everything that he's ever touched or done since he was maybe like 12 or whatever at that age would have been completely different. Exactly. So how are they going to explain if he's still alive? Well, you could kind of take a page from the whole lot getting shot in the missing kidney thing. And if he had a very rare syndrome called situs inversus, I don't think I'm saying that right, but it basically you take all of your thoracic organs and you mirror them. Huh. So instead of the heart facing towards your left hand, it would face towards your right hand. So then when he got shot there, he would probably just graze the heart, not necessarily go right in. It kind of goes along with Lot getting shot through the missing kidney. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wonder how rare that uh, that condition is. It could happen. It could. It could. But, I mean, I definitely don't think that he's dead. We didn't see any blood. Oh, so many people have gotten shot on this show and are still alive. I know. The chances of him being dead are pretty small. But I'm not going to lie, my jaw hit the floor I was when I saw that part. I was expecting the gun to jam. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. What seems strange to me about the whole thing was the fact that Saeed only shot him once. Everybody else, pretty much, that we've ever seen Saeed shoot, he shot him multiple times. The guy that killed Nadia, he shot him and shot him and shot him even after the gun was out of bullets. The guy in Russia shot him twice. Elsa shot her twice also. Mm -hmm. So he seems to shoot people multiple times. But not Ben. Shoots him once, runs off. Yeah. Doesn't even check to see if he's dead or shoot him multiple times guy on the golf course, I think he even shot him multiple times. Yeah, that's something that I would have never even thought of that connection, but I think that maybe that is telling us something. Yeah. Okay, um, to switch gears a little bit, the book that young Ben brought to Saeed in the jail, I think it was called A Separate Reality. Uh -huh. When you looked that up, what did you find? Um, I found it, it was sort of interesting and had some parallels to this episode, um, because it is written by a man, um, Carlos Castaneda, and um, he was a man who claimed to have done sort of an internship or like apprenticeship 
with an Indian sorcerer and there were some plants involved where I think the plants were sort of like hallucinogens and so um, obviously there's a parallel to the truth drug that Oldham administered to Saeed. Um, also if you think back to Locke and what he used to do with certain plants on the island, he'd make those pastes and do weird stuff mm-hmm. and have visions and have Boone have visions. Um, I think there's a big connection there. Yeah, and plus also maybe even just purely the title of the book, A Separate Reality. Oh, yeah. Since, you know, it seems like everything that they're doing back in the past now has the future consequences, even though they're not supposed to be altering time, but they can't help it since they're living there. Right. I mean, it seems like everything about that book relates so far, even the whole Indians and living in teepees thing. Yeah. What did you think about Oldham living in the teepee? Well, first of all, he's super creepy because I used to watch Deadwood and he's on that and he's kind of a a creepy, squirrely little man on that show too. And just the way that he's like, oh, maybe I put too much acid on that sugar cube. (laughs) Not really sorry. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't really seem sorry at all, but he was really creepy and I think he played it really well, Mm -hmm. but it makes me wonder... You know, if they're like, oh, wait till this guy gets a hold of you, well, what else does he do? Exactly. I mean, is it a pretty routine thing? Because he has belts strapped to the trees already. I mean, Mm -hmm. does he torture people on a routine basis? Yeah, is he for all the others, the hostiles, I guess we should call them now, that that come across the borderline or whatever? Which seems strange because he seems to be living closer to the hostiles than anyone else. Yeah. Out there in his little teepee with blankets and his stereograph. Yeah. And it's interesting that the torturer tortures the other torturer. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And just thinking of how much time Saeed spent in the I'm a torturer role, and now he has to be the one to stand there and take it. Mm-hmm. And j- Saeed's laugh at the end that maniacal, super scary laugh. Oh, yeah. That was creepier than, like, any scary clown thing ever. So switching gears again, what do you think about the whole Sawyer and Juliet thing? The scene where Juliet was staring out the window and watching Jack and Kate walk by? What's going to happen? I'm... It sounded to me like Juliet was thinking, well, Kate's back, so I guess Sawyer's going to get rid of me for her. And I was really sad for Juliet then because I remember even earlier this season, I was like, oh, who cares about Juliet? But now that her and Sawyer are so happy together, um, I care about them more than I cared about her before. Huh. That's interesting because I kind of looked at it from a different perspective. And I thought that she was the one who was so distracted and staring out the window. And I thought she's looking at Jack. And she's wondering what could possibly happen between her and Jack because of all the stuff they had in season four. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of took it as her thinking, well, maybe we'll both just revert back to, you know, the people we were with, sort of with, before. Yeah, so we just completely saw that in a 180 degree difference, we it really seems did. like. <laughs> we really did. But I hope that they do stay together and stay happy because they just, they seem much more content, you know? Yeah. And I like Sawyer being happy, finally. Yeah. And I think he was pretty clear to Juliet, like, I don't care that Kate's back, you know, I like what we have here. And Juliet was pretty clear to Kate, although she wasn't so clear on it talking to Sawyer, but she was clear to Kate, like, hey, you need to stay away. This is my man now. Yeah, Kate obviously completely missed the clue bus (laughs) in the figuring out that um, Sawyer and Juliet are together because she found out at the breakfast table and I was like, hello, have you been paying attention? Mm -hmm. They live in the same house. What do you think that might mean? Mm. Hmm. I don't know. Do you think Kate has roommates? I was kind of wondering because she kind of shut the door behind her like, oh, I don't want anybody behind me to hear me talking to Sawyer when he came and knocked on the door. And I I, I thought, surely she doesn't have a whole house to herself. I was kind of thinking that maybe her and Jack were roommates. I don't think they are, though, because when he visited Sawyer in the previous episode, he walked away and then she was standing on the porch. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, she might have roommates. And why do they eat in the cafeteria when they all have kitchens in their home? I was kind of wondering about that. Like, obviously, people like Sawyer and Juliet, who seem to be the people who are more established there, Mm -hmm. you know, they're cooking bacon, they're eating in their own home. 
Yeah. But then the new recruits are all eating in the in the dining hall. I mean, maybe just to get to know other people. Yeah, maybe it's a socialization kind of thing, like team building, like, here, you guys are new, so let's throw you all together. And, you know, once you get to know each other and get integrated into society, then you can, you know, kind of hang out in your own houses. But for now, we want you guys to really get to know each other. Yeah. For Hurley to be the chef, that's sort of a full-time position, you know? Maybe some people just don't like cooking, because maybe they're just there to be hippies and don't want to cook all the time. <laughs> Their sons don't make them sandwiches. <laughs> right. Well, Denise, I think we've covered most of the topics we had written down to talk about today. So uh, let's transition into the character awards. Um, from the episode Namaste, we had three people that were nominated, and they were Sawyer for um, having their backs, them being um, Jack and Kate and Hurley. Juliet for being a mastermind and a really good actress as far as acting the part within the Dharma Initiative to transition Jack and Kate and Hurley in smoothly. And then Frank for doing an amazing job landing the plane. Go, and Frank! Yes, we know what you think. Um, and so had a couple comments on this one. Michael wrote on the poll, I never thought I'd be voting against Sawyer in a character poll, but I have to admit, Frank really did do an excellent job of landing that plane and reassuring the passengers once everyone was out. Okay, perhaps he shouldn't have gone and abandoned them to go with Sun, but hey, nobody's perfect, so that's one vote for Frank, I guess. And Beth said, I totally agree with Michael. Frank did an awesome job totally owning up to his self-certainty in Season 4 about not crashing the chopper. I would like to give Sawyer an honorable mention, though. For another reason than stated in the poll, I would like to congratulate James for finally stepping up to Jack and confronting him about his poor leadership qualities up till now. Almost no one dared or cared to do this, and so therefore Jack never really got balanced feedback. Hopefully this will finally shake him awake and will mark the beginning point of his true heroism. That, I think that's a really good point, Ann Beth. Yeah, that's an excellent observation, and I very much agree with that. And then the third comment on the poll is... Hmm, it's from Denise, and it says, Go Frank, no one else could have landed that plane. Hey. So it looks like three votes for Frank. And, what do you know, Frank won. Yay! 53% for Frank, 35 for Sawyer, and 12 for Juliet. So it was definitely um, in Frank's favor. I knew he'd get one one day. Yeah. He deserves it. He does deserve it. Um, for this week, we have two new nominees. Do you want to announce those, Denise? Um, well, the first one we thought of is Jack for finally learning to mind his own business mm -hmm. and not think that everyone needs to do what he says mm -hmm. or follow his ideas. Right. And that's actually a really good amount of growth for him because if you tried to tell him that any other season, never would have happened. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't have taken it so, so meekly and so humbly. It's exactly what Ann Beth was pointing out in her comment. Yeah. So, and then also Horace for showing a really good amount of leadership. I mean, he can only work with the information he has. Right. But he seems to be doing an excellent job of trying to get everyone on the same page and trying to make it so that whatever they decide is agreeable to everybody. Yeah, I liked how he made the vote unanimous, you know. Just wanted to have so much agreement among the people who are the leaders there. Thought he did a great job with that. And, of course, he doesn't know who Saeed really is, and he doesn't know the real story, so we can't really blame him for wanting to kill Saeed. Right. You know, he was being responsible with the information that he did have. Right. So those are the options for this week. You can go to the blog, com, click on polls, and find the poll there, the link to the poll, and vote on that for next week. Feel free to leave any comments you want. Um... Other ways to get in touch with Jacob's Cabin, you can always leave a voicemail at 646-495-9205, extension 35382, visit the blog, or write me an email at anna.in.indiana at gmail.com. And that's all we've got for this week. Thanks for coming again, Denise. Yeah, I'm really glad to be back. It's a lot of fun podcasting in the same room again. Yes, it's good, even though we're both sick this time. So hopefully we'll be better by next week, and we'll be back here for the 11th episode of Lost. Yep, very excited. So we'll see you guys all next week. See ya. Bye. The music in this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check them out at music.podshow.com.
Merman. <laughs> Not mermaid. <laughs> Merman. <laughs> Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.